0: Welcome to the podcast for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. UUSG is an inclusive community, one that draws wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls, and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world. The Reverend Scott Hall is a minister in the UU tradition. Coming from a career in information technology, Reverend Scott attended seminary to pursue lifelong interests in what he calls life's big questions. He joined UUSG as the settled minister in 2020.
1: When I was 11, evening television was a special treat. It was that magic hour between dinner and bed, a time when I regularly bent the laws of physics in order to squeeze dishwasher loading, room tidying, showering, teeth brushing, and pajama-ing into a single commercial break. When I was 11, yeah, that was a long time ago, so this would be in the fall of 1980, That was when my parents curated for us, I guess you could say, and I remember that night when they found something different. Instead of Buck Rogers or Battlestar Galactica, two favorites of mine at the time, there was this scientist. This was a Sunday night, so it was clearly a nature show night, but it wasn't Wild Kingdom or Nova. This guy had a crooked smile and a Funny and in about 15 seconds I was completely mesmerized. What I learned that night was that space was big, really big, like unimaginably big, and maybe even a little frighteningly big. And all of that vastness, there I was, there we all were, children, playing at the very edge of an impossibly huge garden of wonders, one with a beginning and an end that I would never see, one filled with magic and mystery in literally every direction I could look. Carl Sagan was the first that explained to me where it was that I then, and everyone, ultimately came from. He told me that everything I saw, heard, tasted, smelled, and touched was made out of things that were created somewhere else. He said, the nitrogen in our DNA, the calcium in our teeth, the iron in our blood, the carbon in our apple pies were made in the interiors of collapsing stars. We are made of star stuff. What would our world be like today if more people talk like this? This week saw the birthday of Carl Sagan, St. Carl, according to many UUs. As I mentioned in the opening, Dr. Sagan would have been 86 this this year. 40 years ago, many of us here were in the middle of a 13-episode arc. That was that first season of the TV show, Cosmos. Six years ago, my wife and I were delighted to revisit this childhood wonder with our own kids when Neil deGrasse Tyson led us through the show's much-anticipated second season, and it was great. This past spring, Tyson and team released season three. I hope it's good. I'm waiting for it to hit Disney+. Plus, But it is that first season, that first one, that sticks with me, maybe because I was so young. But I want to say it's because Sagan convinced me of his hope, his optimistic possibility. I think many of us today could use some of that optimism. The text for today's sermon was inspired largely by Cosmos and Carl Sagan's 1994 book, A Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of the Human Future in Space. I turn to these sources specifically because of the news of OSIRIS-REx, which is on its way home after successfully uh, landing on an asteroid. I'm thinking of all the Falcon 9 tests that are going on right now and what SpaceX is doing. I'm currently also remembering, just like in the last week or so, a selfie that the Curiosity rover just sent back from the planet Mars. And I'm thinking about the 12 billion mile phone call NASA just made to Voyager 2. Sitting as we are today between the grinding contention of national election results on the one hand, and on the other, the latest surge in the COVID-19 pandemic, it's easy to forget that we're living in an age of miracles, scientific miracles. And how jarring that idea is. How perplexing when today so many face indignity, oppression, and dehumanization because of their beliefs, their national origin, the language they speak, who they choose to love, or simply because of the sun-kissed color of their skin. In today's America, it seems almost callous to turn from liberation to literally anything else. It seems almost impossible to look up and almost blasphemous to gasp aloud at the splendor that spins up there above us. So when I want to I address that directly. Liberals, progressives, Unitarian Universalists all talk about freedom from a lot. Freedom from superstition. Freedom from hell. Freedom from oppression. These are all right and good things that should be talked about. It, but today, I uh, I want to lift those up. Let's, let's just say yes, we should work on those and lift those up. We're going to work toward those. But today, just maybe today, one day, I want to flip that coin because on the other side, there is a different kind of freedom. The what next part? The part that I want to suggest is just as important. I wanna suggest that freedom from gives us space to consider the freedom to. Freedom to live, freedom to grow, freedom to thrive, freedom to become. And today I wanna suggest that freedom is an arrow, one that points up. This is a good point to pause and in the liberating spirit of our friend, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, please turn to your neighbor. If you're connecting this morning with a friend or family member, you can turn to them. If you're connecting solo, scan that bar on the Zoom app for one of the faces in your community, it really doesn't matter which one. Okay, ready? Repeat after me, neighbor, Oh, neighbor, we are made of star stuff. Amen. Thank you. Now, who are we? How did we get here? Where are we going? Three fundamental questions, questions that, as theologian Paul Tillich said, are of ultimate concern. Tillich also says that asking these questions is the job of the theologian. So today we're going to take him up on that, play theologian, and talk about ultimate things, great, big, ultimate things. And what better way than to start with some trivia? If you've got kids or have any in your neighborhood, you probably have already heard that Uranus most likely smells like rotten eggs. No, really, that's what scientists are actually telling us. And while the jokes are clearly writing themselves, I wanted to ask, did you know also that the planet is tipped over almost completely sideways? It spins like this. Not like this like this. Did you know that? I didn't. Have I mentioned that I love doing research for sermons? Okay, did you know that Mars has a volcano that is three times taller than Mount Everest? Was that an easy one? How about this? Did you know that Mercury is shrinking? Did you know that there is water ice all over the solar system? Did you know that since 1995, just 1995, we found an additional 2,400 comets in our solar system alone? Did you know that Neptune radiates more heat than it receives? That's weird. Do you all remember the scene in the first Star Wars movie when Luke Skywalker is trying to convince Han Solo to help him rescue Princess Leia, who's being held uh, prisoner on the Death Star, somewhere down on the detention level. Skywalker tells Solo, the reward would be worth more than you could imagine. And the old pirate replies, I don't know, I can imagine quite a bit. For all the other pirates out there, we could ask if they knew about this asteroid, the one with 90 million tons of platinum sitting at its core. But maybe we're thinking too small, because there's another asteroid over 120 miles in diameter that is 90% iron. That's about 30 billion billion tons. It's worth 10,000 quadrillion dollars, or about 10,000 times more than the entire global economy. That is quite a bit. Are you thinking the same thing I am? Seriously, what on earth are we waiting for? So imagining things is one thing. And in the last few years, we've been gifted with the ability to do more than just imagine. So let me, Let me share this. New Horizons. The New Horizons spacecraft sent back some of the first and certainly some of the best images of our outermost family traveler. This is Pluto. This is the one who came to visit us. Look at that. Look at that planet. Isn't that amazing? Look at that detail. That big heart-shaped section right there in the lower right. This is Pluto. The detail from Pluto. The Juno spacecraft was in orbit around Jupiter for almost two years. Collecting data on how much water is "quote unquote" on the planet, mapping gravitational and magnetic fields, and studying the atmosphere, it sent back some incredible photos of the uh, central cyclone sitting at Jupiter's north pole. Here we go. Let's look at that one just for a second. Do you know, each of those cyclones, each one of those big swirly parts is larger than the distance between New York and Los Angeles, each one of those swirls. The Cassini spacecraft, which plunged into the storms of Saturn, survived a 20-year mission to explore the ringed world and its moons, including Titan, a moon that some believe may be the best location in our solar system, outside of Earth for the existence of life. But it's this last photo that I wanna linger on. This is Earth, our pale blue dot, a moat suspended on a sunbeam. In the years since the Voyager 1 photograph, Carl Sagan famously referenced, very few photos have captured me quite as thoroughly as this one. Look again at that dot. That's here, that's home, that's us. The only home we've ever known. And as far as family photos go, it's a pretty good one. This photo and the ones like it are where I find perspective. I don't mean that this is an exercise in feeling our mortality or our irrelevancy or even some kind of French absurdity, though that kind of humility is not really a bad thing. Rather, images like these remind us that something amazing is just around the corner. How about you? Do images like this inspire you? Maybe you're feeling the pull to do some climate justice work. There is an urge in this moment to go there, to see our blue boat home and worry about the fragility of the ecosystem and how important it is that our next administration takes science and climate science seriously. But I hope you'll forgive me if I pivot just a bit and invite you to consider the words of Neil deGrasse Tyson when he said, quote, we are all connected to each other biologically to the earth, chemically, to the rest of the universe, atomically. Maybe it's just me, but this idea sounds very like the Buddhist concept of the co, the, the dependent co-arising of all things. Western theologians have called this radical interdependence. Unitarian Universalists might hear our seventh principle, the one that asks us to respect the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are a part, and there we are doing theology. But not just the kind of theology that is about acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly into the awesomeness of the cosmos. There is that, sure, but there's also an invitation, an invitation to realize that you too are stardust, million-year-old carbon. To realize, paraphrasing Carl Sagan, that creating an apple pie from scratch requires creating the universe first. To see, when we look out at the night sky, that which sprawls before us in its unfathomable immensity is both our parents, where we come from, and our children, where we will one day return. Our bodies, our world, all of the worlds, all are part of the body of cosmos. I have to ask don't we owe it to our parents to at least go out and touch their faces, to acknowledge their gifts to us, to revel in their accomplishments, their glory, to learn their secrets, their stories, to visit their graves? The exploration of space is a foregone conclusion. We are going, this is happening. And I say that even as I acknowledge that there are a great many people, perhaps even a great many of you, who cringe at that thought. Those who say we are not ready, that we cannot manage our own planet's resources, how could we possibly manage those of any other planet? How can we be trusted with that? We have no right. That if we go anywhere, we will definitely screw it up, just like we screwed up Earth. That we don't deserve to go anywhere until and unless we have fixed our home first. I want to acknowledge all of that. And I want to suggest that such worries also echo a kind of provincialism. That it bears more than a passing familiarity to the idea that we should hunker down within our borders, either pointlessly polishing our silverware on the one hand or helpfully feeding the poor on the other. But either way, that what we ought to spend American money on is and has been right in front of us. And we need to do that before we spend any money on anyone or anything else. Or maybe we should say it this way. That until and unless all of human errors and oversights and oppressions have been completely addressed and eradicated, until then, we humans have no business looking at or to our neighboring planets, much less the stars. I understand the temptation, and I know that arguments of political theory feel a little toothless when you're hungry and your neighbor is hurting and your water is full of lead. I hear that too. It does not mean that isolationism is a good idea. In 1993, African-American novelist Octavia Butler published The Parable of the Sower. In that novel, economic and environmental mismanagement had led to the partial collapse of the United States. Into that gap, an unlikely public servant stepped, one promising an inward turn, one that reflected the values of our founders, one that spoke the language of faith, one that championed home over neighbor, one who inspired a great many others to organize, a leader that egged on division, that refused to disavow those he inspired when they lashed out against those that were different, a leader who promised in his campaign for president to quote, make America great again. Again, that novel was written in 1993. What Butler imagined then was a United States that had lost its way, not because its ideals were invalid or that its people were corrupt. She imagined a United States that simply wasn't able to save itself from the demons of capitalism, racism or media manipulation what the imagined uh, what that imagined country lacked was two things her protagonist theorized the first was a theology that reflected lived experience so she invented one quote change is the one unavoidable irresistible ongoing reality of the universe butler wrote quote that makes change just another word for god change Is God. And instead of waiting for change to happen to you, Butler's theology was an invitation to become an agent of change. A second thing was needed, Butler argued. It was, quote, a sweet and positive, sweet and powerful, positive obsession that blunts pain, diverts rage, and engages each of us in the greatest, the most intense, of our chosen struggles. That is, her theology needed a goal, a positive obsession, something for people to orient toward, to perhaps organize around, to reach for, to dream about, something that cuts across race or class or nationality. Her answer, quote, the destiny of humanity is to take root among the stars. If you're now raising your eyebrows, let me remind you that this is a science fiction novel. But even with that said, I wonder if there isn't something here that our American, that our American nest today, our American family, we can lead into, lean into. I like to think that Butler's vision echoes President Kennedy, who said, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and, per- and measure the best of our energy and skills. According to Butler and to Kennedy, this is what the stars offer us. Now, as far as I know, Butler did not imagine New Horizons, Cassini, or the Juno missions, or Osiris-Rex, or any of the others. But I think she'd have agreed that exploration invites us to open a very particular door. That opening that door creates a future for humanity, both collectively and collaboratively, first exploring, then taking root among the stars. Through that door, we would still carry all of our foibles and all of our our flaws. A lofty goal is not going to change any of that about us. And we cannot go to the stars to avoid dealing with racism, sexism, parochialism, nationalism, capitalism, or speciesism. But neither do we avoid going to the stars because we have yet to finish the work of racism, sexism, parochialism, nationalism, capitalism, or speciesism. No, the invitation is not to do one or the other, but to do both. And I wonder if a political other, who apparently will not respond to anything else, might respond to a positive obsession, one of unified human purpose. Not because it was right, or because it was good, or because it was easy, but precisely because it was hard. And in that doing of that hard thing, in working collaboratively to achieve an almost impossibly complicated goal, some new understanding might arise. Team building works this way. Give a group of individuals a task. The doing of that task builds commonality and creates solidarity. And this is what liberation theology teaches us that we can act ourselves into a new way of believing. If there was ever a context where humans of different stripes had more in common than they had in difference, it's on a rocket heading off to another planet. So today, yes, even with everything going on around us, I'm going to ask you to dream just a little bigger than usual. I'm going to ask you to gaze just a bit farther. Because what if it could be true that we are, each of us, shapers of change, agents of ultimacy? What could that mean? Way back in 1966, Gene Roddenberry asked us to boldly go where no one had gone before. Is it really so hard to imagine that our destiny is out there among the stars? Who are we to dream this big? Who are we to finally set sail from our quiet cosmic shore out into the vastness of night, across an endless sea of stars? Who are we not to? How could we not? That out there? That is us. As Carl Sagan once told us, quote, the cosmos itself is within us. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. And somewhere out there, something incredible is waiting to be known. That is the challenge, the gauntlet laid on our Darwinian doorstep, one we can choose to accept or not? I know the answer, and you do too. The answer, it was written into our bones before the world was new. In the words of the immortal Buzz Lightyear, hear our cry to infinity and beyond. Happy birthday, Carl Sagan. May your memory be a blessing and continue to be an inspiration as well. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You are always welcome to join the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Come as you are. We look forward to meeting you. Visit us at UUSG.org for more information about us, our worship services, and where you can find us on social media. Hope to see you soon!